turns, if you would please, to Hebrews chapter 12. Some of you, I know, some of you didn't think we'd get here, but here we are. All the way to Hebrews chapter 12. Like a rocket ship, we're here. Moving along, zipping along, one verse at a time. All right, let's see here. If you were going to have a, if I were going to kind of give you an outline of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, what would be some of the things that would kind of jump out at you, for me anyway? You may have forgotten all the way back to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, I mean Hebrews chapter 1, that was seemed like a long time ago, but let me just give you a, kind of a three-point outline, if you will, of Hebrews. Number one. Jesus is better, okay? Jesus is better. That way, if you had to summarize Hebrews at this point all the way up through the first 11 chapters, you would say, okay, number one for sure. I know a pastor must have said this a hundred times, maybe more. Jesus is better. That's the theme of Hebrews. Here's the second point. Don't walk away from your faith. Don't drift away. Don't move away. Don't fall away. Don't, don't walk away from your faith. And here's the third point of Hebrews so far. Be encouraged by the example of believers who walked with God by faith and crossed the line victoriously. Those would be what we've learned so far in Hebrews. Now, it took us a, a couple of years to get to that, but those are the three points there. Now, let's look at that outline for a minute, shall we? Number one, Jesus is better. We couldn't miss that, should we? Or could we? I mean, the first 10 chapters emphasized over and over that Jesus is better. Couldn't miss that one. He's a better savior. He's a better priest. In fact, he's our great high priest. He presented a better sacrifice in a better tabernacle, and he ushered in a better covenant. He is better. Second, uh, don't walk away from your faith. All throughout this epistle, we're told not to walk away from our profession of faith. Don't drift away. Don't fall away. Keep believing. Keep trusting Christ. Do not be like those who were disobedient in unbelief in the wilderness. Don't fall away. Don't drift away. Don't suffer the, the disobedience of unbelief. And make sure that you understand that there are very severe and fatal consequences if you only made a profession of faith and not a confession of faith. That message comes across loud and clear as well. And then finally in Hebrews chapter 11, example after example after example of people who believed, they trusted God, they continued to believe right until the end of their lives. Those commended for their faith in chapter 11 were far from perfect, were they? They were flawed human beings whose failures were evident to all. They were not commended on the basis of their flawless performance, but rather on the basis of the one whom they trusted, and he continues to be perfect. Even though they weren't perfect, he is perfect. Those who live by faith realize that their rewards are not earthly, they're spiritual, they're heavenly, and thus we live as strangers and pilgrims in this world, don't we? We're just sojourners here, we're just travelers here. And lastly, faith is not a guarantee of prosperity and success in this life, is it? 
It's not about the material things. It's not about how much, how many pennies, how many nuggets you collect throughout your life. Some of those in the Hall of Faith were victorious. Uh, and from an earthly standpoint, others suffered greatly from an earthly standpoint. But all were victorious in Christ. All were. But they give us they give us as examples and as encouragement. So that's a short outline of the book of Hebrews through chapter eleven. But Hebrews eleven really doesn't end with verse forty, does it? Because you know those chapter divisions in your Bible they were put in a long time after the New Testament was written, and the first three verses at least of Hebrews chapter twelve are really a culmination of what he has been saying all throughout Hebrews chapter 11. So there's a sense in which, even though there's a chapter division here in your Bibles, this is actually the culminating point of those examples that he's been given us in Hebrews chapter 11. So, although we bid a, a, you know, a farewell to Hebrews chapter 11 last week, we're really on the same theme, if you will. And these three, first three verses in chapter 12 are an exhortation to believers to do something with what we learn through these examples of victorious faith in chapters 11. This is the practical side. This is the exhortation. Okay, we looked at all these people, right? We, we went all the way back. We looked all the way back to the beginning, all the way back into Genesis and brought ourselves all the way through the Old Testament. And I think actually even into the intertestamental period, all the way up to the New Testament. Now, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with these great examples of faith? What, how are you going to respond? So in this passage here, he's teaching us how to live the Christian life. We just looked at example after example after example of people who lived a victorious Christian life. Then in Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, he's going to say, what are you going to do with it? Let me tell you what you need to do. Here's an exhortation. I'm exhorting you to do these things. And whenever we come across a passage in the New Testament that is directly telling us how to live the Christian life, you want to pay real close attention. Because, quite frankly, we need all the help we can get. I know I do. He's not going to give us some simple, hey, A, B, and C, that's it, you're done. But he's going to give us some very practical and, of course, biblical counsel on how to run with endurance through the Christian life. That's what he's that's the point he's trying to make here. Look at these wonderful examples that we have. Here's what I want you to do with it. Run the race with endurance. Run it all the way to the end. Run it all the way to victory. Run it until you're glorified in heaven. Run, run, run the race with endurance. Now, this morning, I want you to notice a couple of things about what our text says is the race set before us and how the Lord wants us to run. First of all, what kind of race are we in? Well, let me tell you this. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a marathon race. It is constant. It is ongoing. You're uphills, you're downhills, you're over mountains, you're in the valleys. The Christian life is also not a morning jog. It's not a saunter. It's a race. The word in the Greek here for race 
is agonia. What does that sound like? Agonia. Agony, doesn't it? That's the, that's where we get the word from. It is an agonizing marathon, this thing called the Christian life. Now, how's that for encouragement this morning, right? It is an agonizing marathon. That's what he's trying to say. It's not a sprint. We get to you know run for a little bit and sit down and you know have a cup of coffee, rest your you know your aching uh, you know bones and joints. No, no, it's a marathon. It's grueling. It's a race. Actually, it's a faith race. Now there are there there are those believers whose Christian life doesn't look like a marathon. Actually, kind of looks like a sprint. They run hard for maybe a year or two, and then they, whew, got to stop, man. This is just too hard, too tough. Let me take a break from that. I'll just kind of back off from that a little bit. Take a break, stop, rest for a while, kind of fall back into my old lifestyle and habits. Ooh, that's easier, isn't it? I mean, I was pushing so hard for so many years, really trying to live for Christ and not, you know, I need a break. I need, I need a little bit of rest. That's not what he's talking about here. This isn't a sprint. This isn't a 200-meter uh, you know, short track. This is a marathon. This is agonizing. Life is marked by these constant up and downs for the sprinter. There's not a lot of consistency in their life. So they run for a while, then they convince themselves that this is too hard. They need to take a break. They need to look a little more like the world. Then you're going to jump back into the race when things start to spin out of control a little bit. That's the sprinter. As believers, we need to understand that this race that we're in is not a series of sprints. It's a marathon. It's ongoing. It's constant. That doesn't mean, my friends, that we're supposed to pace ourselves. This doesn't mean that you're just like, Oof, you know, I'm going to be a Christian a long time, so I don't want to burn myself out too fast here in the beginning. So I'll just kind of kick back and, you know, and maybe when my life slows down a little bit here or there, well, then I'll serve. Then I'll really get serious about Jesus. At a different stage in my life, that's when I'll start reading my Bible every day. That's when I'll find time for prayer. But right now, it's just way too hectic. I just can't. I can't. No, that kind of thought about straining ourselves too hard as we live the Christian life, unless we burn out. The analogy here of the race is meant to communicate the seriousness of the run and how important it is that we need to understand that when you came to faith, that was the beginning of the race and that you are to keep running. You're actually going to be pushed beyond what you think is your endurance. And you're going to keep on running. You know, uh, we don't have many long-distance runners in here. Certainly not me. And uh, But I think Nathan is a long-distance runner. Yes? All right? And uh, you can tell by our similar body types that we both do a lot of... I'm just kidding. A long-distance runner runs all year long. Every season. In all kinds of weather over many different types of terrain. They run that all year long. That's the picture that he wants us to see here. And again, note that the Christian life is a race. That's not to say we're in competition with each other, but rather that it demands great effort. And the race, again, starts the moment you became a believer. 
Because apart from faith in Christ, my friends, you're not even in the race. You're still on the sidelines watching the race. But once you become a believer, you must be continually urged to run with all your might. With agonia, with agony, understanding that this is going to push your mind and your body beyond what you think is your limit. Run with all your might. Not a jog, not a walk, not a sprint, not, hey, do it for a while and then sit down and rest, kick back, let somebody else do it. No. It's a race. It's agonizing. It's grueling. Well, how do we do that? How do we live this life like that? How do we live a life, this Christian life, this Christian walk, and run with endurance based on what you just described to me, Pastor? How, how am I going to do that? Well, of course, God gives us some instruction here, doesn't he? But before we get to that, let's go to his word. Let's go to him in prayer, shall we, and ask him to bless our time in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for the opportunity for our, these dear saints to gather here and to open up your truth. Lord, what a blessing it is. We thank you for the privilege and the freedom we have in this country to do just that. And I thank you, Lord, of all those who understood the importance today of being here, of getting up through some bitter cold this morning and understanding that this time together as a body is important. It's important for us. It's important to you, Lord. So thank you for that. Now give us open hearts and open minds, Lord, to your wonderful truth. May we not just be hearers of the word, but doers of your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. To have your outline, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Verse 1a, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's the verse part. Here's point number one in your notes. We run with the encouragement of victorious saints from the past. We run with encouragement of victorious saints from the past. Now we are told here in our text that there's a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Who are they? Well, I believe they are the saints that we just talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. This is the great cloud of witnesses. They're all the heroes of the faith listed in chapter 11. Here's what they're not. They're not a bunch of onlookers in heaven like we're in some sort of spectator bowl watching us, which is a common thought here today. We don't find that in scripture anyway. The people are in heaven looking down, watching our day-to-day functions and kind of giving us a thumbs up or that's not in there. Can I just tell you that it kind of diminishes what heaven is, that view. Because here's what heaven really is. You're in the presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. One of your least concerns will be whether or not I wear the blue shirt today or the green shirt today. Trust me. You are going to be focused on Christ worshiping and serving him. This great cloud of witnesses is not somebody who's currently watching as a spectator in the race. These are people who gave this wonderful example of how to finish the race victoriously. We just spent three months looking at their lives. Their lives testify testify to us that, first of all, this race of faith can be run. 
it can be accomplished. You're going to have great victories, and you're also going to have times of terrible struggles. And they've proved by their testimony that the life of faith is the only life worth living. So first of all, we need to realize that this race is a marathon race. It's long distance over the course of our entire lives, day after day, night after night. And secondly, we know we have this great cloud of witnesses. We have this example that has been put before us that shows us that the race is possible to be ran and it is worth living. Second thing I want you to consider is why are we running? What's the purpose of running this race? Is it to get to heaven? No. As I said earlier, you're not even in the race if you're not a believer. So this isn't a performance thing. Well, if I'm better than this guy, I guess I'm in. If I run a little faster, no. You're not in competition with each other. Our salvation is based on one thing and one thing only. It's faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. That's it. That's it. This race is about experiencing the fullness, all the fullness that God wants you to experience as a believer in Christ. This race is about conforming you every day more and more into the image of his son. This race is about molding you and shaping you to be more like Jesus and less like you and me. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, will you? Keep your place in Hebrews. We'll just go back a few chapters here to Philippians chapter 3. As Paul speaks about this race, this marathon, he looks back at it a little bit. He says, hey, let me share with you some things I've learned along this race. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss. You might have rubbish for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing, there's our word from Sunday school, gnosko, knowing, intimately knowing whom Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, but I count them but rubbish. I count that as nothing so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but instead of that, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, the koinonia, the, the, uh, the, the intimate fellowship and sharing of what Christ felt and suffered. I, too, have that in my life, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect or complete, but what I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize 
of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, there's two things that mark this goal for me. It's that I might know him. That I lay aside all to know him. That I grow in my understanding to know him. So much of him to know. Paul viewed the knowledge of Christ like a treasure chest. Where every time you went deeper, you just uncovered more and more treasure. That's how Paul pictured this knowledge of Christ. So the first goal of this race is to get closer to him, to draw near to him with the promise that as we do that, he draws closer to us so that we may know him and be conformed to him as we surrender our life to him. And we start to look more like Jesus and less like us. And then in verse 14, again, he says, I press towards the prize of the upward call. What does he mean? He's speaking of heaven. Again, we're not running to get to heaven. We're running for heaven. That's the race. That's the race, my friends. You know, in Bible times, in the Roman races, thousands of people would jam the Roman Colosseum to watch their runners run. And the the finish line would be the emperor, and he'd sit on a throne, and the runners would run to him, and there they'd receive the prize. May I share with you that our king is waiting at the finish line, and that our prize is the crown of life. And it's at that finish line where we hope to hear, well done, my good and faithful service. Enter into my rest. So the purpose of our running is to get closer to him and then to one day receive from him that crown, that prize, that reward of our running in heaven. So point number one, we run with encouragement, with the encouragements of these victorious saints from the past with the goal of knowing him as we run to heaven. That's the finish line. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 again, verse 1, the second part. So verse 1 again, therefore, that points us back to all of chapter 11. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, here's the second part. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. How do we... How do we run this race? Well, we know we run with the encouragement of those saints who were victorious from the past. But then he tells us something else. Point number two, we run by shedding all that would encumber us. What does that word encumbrance mean or encumber? It means weight. It means weight. It can refer to physical weight or it can refer to unnecessary baggage. Unnecessary baggage in your life. Unnecessary baggage that would impede or slow down this race. Unnecessary baggage. Unnecessary weight that you're carrying around with you that slows down or inhibits you from finishing the race. That's his point here. Ancient Greek runners would actually run without clothes so as not to be encumbered. And our Olympic athletes of today, they wear these aerodynamic outfits that reduce weight. They're super light, and they cut down resistance. Same idea. They don't want anything to slow them down or drain their energy. But notice in our text there that he makes a difference between encumbrance and sin, weight and sin. 
encumbrances include things that are not intrinsically wrong, but they're wrong because they keep you from running as you should. So, for example, if I'm going to run a marathon and I have heavy hiking boots on, there's nothing inherently wrong with hiking boots, but they're really going to slow down my race, aren't they? They're really going to encumber me. They're really going to weigh me down. And if I were to put on some jogging shoes, I might run well compared to the hiking boots. If I dropped a backpack that I was carrying and dressed in shorts and a, and a light uh, shirt, I might be able to finish the weight or finish the race. So we're told to lay aside these weights and the sins. And one of the greatest problems runners face is weight. Several years ago, there was a, uh, at a recent Olympic gold medal for the 100 meters, came to our country for an invitational track meet. This guy was considered the fastest human on the planet. But when he ran the preliminary heat, he didn't even qualify. Like, wow. How can that be? You're the fastest man. You're an Olympic gold medalist. You're the fastest person on the planet. He said afterwards that the reason was simple. He was overweight. He had trained too little and eaten too much. And what was interesting is that the amount of weight that he gained was, in our thinking, would be insignificant. It was only like four or five pounds. But it was enough to keep him from winning, even from qualifying for the race. Weights are things that we can add to our lives that hold us down, things that impede our progress, things that burden down our hearts. Weights are things that are not necessarily sins. Nothing in the Bible says don't do this or don't have that, but they can become sin for us when they impede our race. What might some of these encumbrances be, you're thinking? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to share with you right now. Here's one. How about the weight of materialism? I keep adding more and more stuff to my life until the point that it slowed me down. My bills are so high. I'm in debt and it, because I've been trying to live beyond my means. I'm stressed out. I'm fatigued. I'm upset. I wake up every day wondering how I'm going to pay my bills. It's impeding my progress in my walk with Christ because all I can think about is money, money, bills, debt, Are you burdened down by the weight of materialism? Do you have to have the newest car? Do you have to have the newest house? Do you have to have the newest clothes? Do you have to have... If those things are weighing you down, they're impeding you in the race. They're weighing you down as you're trying to run the race. Do you miss the days when you were freer to seek the Lord and serve the Lord? Then get rid of the stuff. Lose the weights. Not only the weight of materialism, here's the weight of conformity. That happens when you allow things back into your life that God has clearly showed you that you don't need to have in your life. He showed you that to be done with these things. Maybe it's the amount of time you're spending on TV. Maybe it's the TV shows you're watching. Maybe it's the movies that you're watching. Maybe it's how often you're watching movies. Maybe it's your hobbies. Again, there's not anything inherently wrong with any of those things. But when they weigh you down in your run, this race, this marathon, in the Christian life, then they start to impede your progress. 
Maybe there are things that cause you to spend more time playing, less time running, more time pursuing worldly entertainment, less time spending heavenly pursuits. How about some emotional weights? We have the weight of materialism. We have the weight of conformity. How about some emotional weights? Bitterness, anger, holding on to attitudes that are weighing you down, impeding your progress, stifling your growth. You can't run this race if you're weighted down. Taxing all your powers. We're going to struggle to finish the race, my friends, victoriously if we're carrying around all these weights. So we're to lay aside the weights, but notice also the sin. Some Christians try to run with secret sins. Nobody knows. Nobody knows where I'm at. Nobody knows what I'm doing. Reminds me of all those athletes we find from time to time have these tremendous results, and then they think nobody will find them out, and then I think we just had one in the news the other day. Here again. Jumping up and down, screaming loudly, pointing the finger at everybody else, and it comes out. They were hiding these secret things in their lives. Eventually, that sin finds you out. Trust me, my friends. Sin will always find you out. Always. Could be adultery, could be drugs, could be pornography, it could be a compromise. The devil uses those things to trip you up, to ensnare you. They're not just things that slow you down, they're things that kick you out of the race for a while. Sins. Sin causes you to lose your joy, lose your energy. What's the solution? Repent. Lay aside those things, turn from those sins. Turn to the Lord. Get right with God. Point number one. We run with the encouragement of victorious saints from the past. We look at their example. We know the race is worth running. We know it's possible to run it victoriously. We know it's possible to finish well. Secondly, how do we do it? We run by shedding all that would encumber us. We get rid of all the things that would slow us down. All the things that would drag us down in our walk with Christ. And we repent and get rid of all the sin that actually would prohibit us from running in the race. Number three, we run with endurance to finish the race God has set before us. Point number three, we run with endurance to finish the race God has set before us. That word endurance speaks of this this steady determination to keep going. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. Don't give up. It means continuing even when everything in you wants to slow down or give up. Now, it's clear if you look at the end of verse 1 and you look at the end of verse 3, he says, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That's actually sports lingo of the first century, if you will. What is that used for? What was that used for? Growing weary and faint-hearted was the word that was used for long-distance athletes who would conk out of the race. They'd get out of the race before they finished. They grew weary and faint-hearted. What does he mean by that? It's not just the physical part. Endurance runner, it's not just the physical part. Their body, they can train to do the physical part. But endurance racing is all here. It's pushing on when the rest of your body is trying to shut down. When your mind is telling you, hey, you could just kind of kick it back a little bit here. You're okay. You're not going to win this thing anyway. Nobody, you know, 
you're still on the team. Just kind of kick it back. You don't have to push yourself so hard. Or weary, faint-hearted. They couldn't make it to the finish line. They convinced themselves because they were so exhausted. And that's important for us as we contemplate the Christian life. Because the Christian life is going to be filled with lots of rough terrain, my friends. You're going to have mountaintops and valley to go from one to the other. And sometimes those valleys can seem so long. And everything in you just wants to stop for a while. I don't see the finish line. Might as well just quit running so hard. Run with endurance means you keep on going. You know, many of the Hebrew Christians to whom this letter was written had started so well. They saw the signs and the wonders. They were thrilled with their new lives in the Lord. But as soon as the trial started hitting, it was like, maybe I could just kind of go back to my old life a little bit. Boy, it sure was a lot easier. I didn't have all this resistance. had a lot more friends. had a lot more fun. Maybe I just kind of head back there. Pretty soon they began to backslide. And I see that happen time and time and time again. Somebody doesn't get what they want. They don't get it when they want it. They think they're treated unfairly. They, well, I'll show the Lord. I'll just step back here. I'll just do what I'm going to do. I'll just do what I want to do. Why is he telling us this? Because if we don't realize the challenge of living the Christian life, if you don't understand that this is a marathon, not a sprint, then you're going to have unrealistic expectations of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. One of the things I love about this passage is it's filled with hope and encouragement, but it's so utterly realistic. Where are the biggest obstacles that we face living the Christian life? Can I just clue you in? It's not out there, my friends. It's in here. This is where the biggest obstacle is for you to run the race. It's our own selfish desires. It's our own self-absorbing view of ourself. It's our own self-grandizing. It's our pride. Those are the things. Those are the biggest challenges. It's an endurance race. And I believe, my friends, that there's a lack of endurance in the Christian church today. Many people just quitting their walk or quitting their ministries or quitting their marriages every time something gets tough. It's a marathon, not a sprint. The author of Hebrews is telling us we need to be realistic with just how great a challenge the Christian life is. And we need to be ready in our minds to run the distance. But he's not done there yet. Look at this here. We come to the main verb in verse 1. The primaries, uh, uh, the uh, author's exhortation, the primary verb here. Let us keep running by means of endurance the race that has been set before us. Notice that the race has been set before us. Here's what I want you to see from that. God sets the course, my friends. God sets the course for this race you're going to be running. If you're running a marathon, you don't can't make up your own course. All right, you guys other take the you take those steep hills, I'm going to go over here on the flatland. It doesn't work that way. God sets the course before you. 
If you stray from the course, you'll be disqualified. The race is set before us, just as Jesus had the joy set before him. God is the sovereign one who sets the course for each of us, just as he set the course for the cross for Jesus. To finish the Christian marathon, it's important to keep in mind at all times that the sovereign God chose the course. You may not like parts of the course. You may be prone to grumble. To grumble. Why did this course have to go over such a steep hill? Why is this valley so long? Why is the weather so cold? Why, why, why me? And the answer is, because that's what our sovereign God planned for you. Here's what I also want you to know. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. You can just jot this down. God would never set a course out that we cannot complete. The course he has set for you is designed to accomplish his will. What's his will for your life? That you be conformed into the image of his son. And then in the process, you glorify him. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. I have competed well. I have what? Finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have set their affection on his appearing. And what will you do with that crown of life and this crown of righteousness? You'll take it off your head and bow at his feet and lay prostrate before him because none of that would be possible if it wasn't of him working in and through you in the course that he had set before you to run, to conform you to the image of his son and to glorify him in the process. You won't be able to run by faith unless you submit your will to his will. Secondly, run, run with endurance, my friends. Run with endurance. That means you have to have a mindset here. If you think in your mind that the Christian life is a 100-meter sprint, then you're going to be very frustrated when you pass the 100-meter mark and there's no end in sight. When you realize the race has barely begun, you're going to be saddled with discouragement. This is what Jesus said when he talked about counting the cost of following him in Luke 14. Understand that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Understand there's going to be great times when you're at the top of the mountain and long valleys that are dark and hard. In 1981, a man named Bill Broadhurst entered the Pepsi Challenge. It was a 10,000-meter race in Omaha, Nebraska. He had had surgery 10 years earlier for an aneurysm, and the brain had left him paralyzed on his left side. He couldn't move. It was stiff, this leg here. He could only swing it forward after the surgery. But on that misty July morning, he stood with 1,200 men and women at the starting line. The gun sounds. The crowd takes off. And Bill throws his rigid left leg forward and pivots on it, hits the foot, and, and takes a step. And he repeats it, and he repeats It's a slow plop, plop, plop rhythm this 10,000-meter race. That rhythm seems to mock him as the 
pack races into the distance. And sweat rolling down his face, and you can see the pain piercing his ankles, but he keeps going. Some of the runners finish the race in about 30 minutes. For Bill, two hours and 20 minutes to run 10,000 meters. A man approaches from a small group of remaining bystanders, and though exhausted, Bill recognizes them from pictures in the newspaper. It's Bill Rogers, famous marathon runner, who then drapes his newly won medal for winning that race over Bill's neck. Bill Broadhurst's finish was as glorious as that is the world's greatest runner, even though he finished last. Why? Because he ran with perseverance, my friends. He ran with perseverance. He ran with endurance. Now, I'm told, by the way, that after a race at the Boston Marathon, it's typical to have a press conference for the winner, and the person who finished last is often interviewed by the reporter. But I wonder if Bill Rogers got the idea of doing this because of his experience at the Boston Marathon. But it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Where you take the crown of what the world would think is the crowning achievement and give it to the one who endured My friends, that's the picture of the Christian life. It's a long-distance run. The Christian life is a lifelong, grueling race that entails some long hills to climb and some swampy marshes to plod through and some dark, deep valleys, lots of obstacles in the way. We know where the starting line is, but that's when we first believed in Christ. But only God knows where the finish line is. Only God knows where all those obstacles are going to be that you're going to have to encounter because he set the race before you. Obstacles for sure are going to be placed in your way. There'll be trials, there'll be hardships, but we must persevere, trusting in the Lord to guide us to the finish line. None of us knows the length of the course, but God, God knows when it will be reached for each of us. And here's the other thing. The course is going to be longer and tougher for some than it is for others. But to make it to the end, you're going to need some self-discipline. You're going to need to be in good shape. You need to maintain your motivation. You need to have a sustained effort. No one enters a marathon thinking about dropping out after the first mile. Finishing well is everything, my friends. How do we do it? We run with the encouragement of those victorious saints who went before us, who finished well. We shed our lives of any unnecessary weight and sin that would encumber us or slow us down in this race so that we can finish well. And we run with endurance to finish the race that God has set before us. That's how we do it. There's one other thing we want to look at next week. Going to keep our eyes firmly focused on Christ. We'll look at that next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for our text here this morning, Lord. Just so many good things here, Lord. So much encouragement for us who are running this race. Lord, some here today have just started. They may be a little 
closer to the finish line than are further away from the finish line than others. Others are closer to the finish line in their marathon. But Lord, all of us in this race will get to that finish line, Lord, if we run with endurance, if we shed our life of those encumbrances, if we remind ourselves of the victorious saints who went before us. Father, help us to do that. Help us not to give up. Help us not to compromise. Help us not to try to look like the world and still be a Christian. Help us to get rid of all those things that might hinder us to finish well, Lord. For the prize is definitely worth the effort. That's what your word tells us, Lord. We eagerly await to hear those words from you, our King. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.